Welcome to the Everesting Podcast, built by Corey. Today's episode is with Chris Hall. So Chris is somebody who attempted valiantly to ride seven full Everestings in seven days. It didn't go quite as planned. Uh, I will let Chris elaborate during the episode and explain, but suffice it to say that he put in an absolutely unbelievable amount of effort over a one-week span uh, in all kinds of weather. An incredibly, incredibly talented uh, cyclist and athlete and extremely dedicated and mentally tough. He did all of this uh, in an effort to raise uh, awareness and money for mental health charities, which I also find incredibly admirable. In fact, it's one of my favorite things about Everesting is um, how much people have used it as a vehicle for fundraising and awareness. So I think that's really, really cool. Chris is awesome. He made some time for me to speak right before he was headed off to Badlands in Spain. So I really appreciate you doing that, Chris. Thank you so much for spending some time. I hope everybody finds this conversation just as inspiring as I did. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the State Bicycle Company, who, as always, you can check out at statebicycle.com. I've been riding one of their gravel bikes for two years now. Absolutely amazing. It would be an awesome bike at any price, but they're incredible value as well. Statebicycle.com is where you can find them. And in addition to their uh, all-road division, they also have a number of awesome fixed gear and single-speed bikes, uh, commuters, city bikes. They also have an e-bike now. So check them out at statebicycle.com. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate that. As always, if you're able to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you're finding the show, that helps us find new listeners. So thank you for doing so. On to Chris Hall. Chris Hall, thank you for joining me. I I randomly sometimes reach out to people because I follow everything related to Everesting and all of the tags so that I can discover people all around the world that I might be interested in chatting with on the podcast. So I came across something pretty epic that you did. You did seven Everestings in seven days. So I immediately shot you a message because I'm like, that, that's an Everesting podcast guest for sure. But I also really appreciated that you had um, that you have a real passion for discussing mental health issues too and raising money for that uh and it all how that all tied in so i want to talk about all that stuff but take me a little bit farther back to when you first became aware of everesting i always find that to be an interesting place to start because some people know the minute they heard of it and some people don't know it just gradually crept into their consciousness it's a good start point um i think it was one of those things that kind of i so i've i've, I've been doing these challenges which are related to uh, otherwise mental health um or also supporting a kids school which is for kids with cerebral palsy in in the uk um but i've been doing kind of bike related challenges for charity for probably uh probably kind of up to 10 years now and uh they with the kids school they're quite often related around the number 107 because they look after 107 kids and then for me there's always been this like synergy with uh everesting climbing and sort of the battles of mental health where people can spiral downwards and equally you can climb out of it but it's a it's a slog um, and I think if I'm honest it's kind of been something that's been on the back of my mind for a very very long time couldn't exactly tell you when but it it'd been in my mind for a long time and then during obviously during uh, lockdown and COVID in the UK like there was this just rush of people you know who maybe were racing like a, a sort of domestic level, kind of trying to find something to do and some way to train. And then sort of um, seeing people on a, I guess, a more 
professional level going for like records and trying to you know do the fastest possible Everest and 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 that kind of thing got a lot of exposure in the UK while lockdown was going on and I think the first time I uh technically Everested was on Swift which is not fun (laughs) it's really hard um it's faster that's I think the only thing that I, I haven't done it yet um, but that's the only advantage I see is that it's over sooner, but uh, in every other way, it sounds miserable. It is really hard. And so that, that was, I think was the first time I technically Everested. And then, uh, following that in, oh, would it be 2020 in November, 2020, I did a, a trenching challenge. Um, so that's for anyone that doesn't know, a trenching is the equivalent depth and subsequently elevation of the Mariana Trench, very much the same idea as Everesting, but it's 11,034 metres. And now I did that in November, at the end of November, on Box Hill in Surrey, which is not a hill for anyone that has not ridden it and has only ridden it on Swift. It's harder on Swift than it is in real life, genuinely, which I think, yeah, genuinely harder on Swift than in real life. It's, I think they kind of were like, oh, we've got to make it a bit more substantial because it's actually not that tough um but you know it's such an iconic hill in the uk um you know because of the olympics um at the time i was i was living in london and it was like it was close ish to where i lived but the, the main reason for doing it on that climb was i was trying to find a climb that i could rep 91 times to effectively trench it which ironically was box hill um 91 the significant number being that in the uk at that point, it was 91 men were taking their week, their life um, every week, which is just crazy. Just That's in crazy. the UK. Just in the UK, yeah. Um, and I believe that number's increased since the pandemic. But yeah, in the latest statistic they had then was from 2018. It was 91 men a week, which is, yeah, it was heartbreaking. So I wanted to find a climb I could do 91 times to the 11,034 metres. The, the irony is, is I lost count and I think I did it. I think I actually did it like 98 times because I lost count. Um, and it was like 20, I don't know what, 26 hours of riding pretty much. Um, and that was like uh, very much focused at fundraising for Movember and men's mental health. You know, I, I have a moustache now. I have a moustache most of the time. Um, and I, you know, shaved it all off at the start of November and grew it and did it at the end of November. So I actually had a moustache again to do that challenge. Um, and the reason why I did the trenching challenge was, was purely because I was like, loads of people I knew were doing Everests and it felt like I needed to do something if I was fundraising that was a bit more than just an Everest. Um and then fast forward to this year and the madness that happened this year. Basically, after doing the Box Hill one, I was like, I'm never going to do something like this again. And then this year happened. Yeah, that's okay. So when, yeah, when did it occur to you to try and do seven in seven days? And then, like, the appeal to me to doing something like that, well, there's not any particular appeal to it. <laughs> But the 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 appeal of the Everesting and then or even something bigger or even some of these really long rides that I try and do is mm. that it 
more than a bike ride, it actually becomes sort of a project because there's all these little components to manage and that makes it harder, but much more interesting, right? So you yeah. become sort of a project manager and an athlete at the same time. So how did you start to work out the logistics of this endeavor? Oh, and I don't even know, was this all on the same hill? Yeah. Well, a lot so there's, there, so what I technically, first things first, technically I managed 6.6 Everests. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of reasoning for it. Um, so we did it on, I say we, cause I always refer to these challenges as we, because I'm the one that's got the easy job riding a bike. There's, you, you know, is any, if you're doing an Everest full stop, having set people to support is incredible and it really helps. We try and do seven that times by seven, you know, you need that support. Um, and so I, I've had this idea in the back of my mind for probably, pro- probably since I did the trenching challenge, to be honest with you, it was something I'd been thinking about for a while. And the reason why was, I, I think there's a, with mental health, especially there's a perception that, you know, uh, you know, that person gets it like on a certain point, you know, but it's actually something that can occur any time of day, any time of the week, Monday to Sunday, whatever your working week is it can happen at any point. And to me, there was a real synergy of this continuation of an idea of an uphill battle and spiraling downwards and trying to work out a way of sharing that and showcasing that and fundraising for mental health and, you know, mental health awareness to try and help people understand that people can struggle at any point and at any time. Um, And then, so with the challenge, like I, the planning I actually really enjoy and with some of the other sort of challenges I've done uh, for charity where it's been, I did one which was riding 107 miles every day during the 107th Tour de France, which is for the kids school pace. And that was logistically was riding from when I lived in London, from my flat in London to Land's End, Land's End to John O'Groats and then John O'Groats to Lowestoft and Lowestoft to London. So that's basically going the widest point of the UK and the longest point of the UK across the length of the Tour de France. But the, the requirement was 107 miles every day that the, the pros were racing. So the, the planning I really enjoy, um, it, figuring it out, like refining what you're going to do. And, and admittedly with this challenge, there was in some way less planning because I was like, I'm going to do it on one climb. Now, for me, when I did the trenching challenge, one of the big problems i had was cars and that part of the uk maybe i'll be blunt about it surrey is like not known for being the biggest fan of cyclists surrey is a county um and anyone that's ridden around surrey has probably experienced some of the uh, issues that can happen with drivers and i had a lot of problems with drivers while i was doing the trenching challenge so when i was trying to pick uh, a location to do the seven i was adamant that it had to be on a closed road um now in the uk there's two there's two closed climbs um i basically went down the route picking the one that was a not a steep gradient that, well, that was pretty much my decision on it um but there was a risk of choosing the particular climb i chose which was stuland dam in wales and the risk was that um that part of Wales has really, really unpredictable weather, like really volatile. It's no, it's really famous for it. Um, but 
you know, you have to be optimistic in these sort of situations and go into it thinking it's going to be all right. It'll be okay. Um, and the week that I'd started, um, the weather forecast was very unpredictable. And, and like what I, what I mean by unpredictable is that the, the locals around there were like, we, we genuinely don't know how to, um, oh, sorry, my partner's just walked past on the phone as well. And she's off. Um, we've got a dog that's running around looking very confused. Um, anyway, so part of the problem with that climb was that the, uh, it's notoriously volatile with the conditions and the weather around that part of Wales. And we, I kind of had to go into optimistically thinking, fingers crossed the weather's going to be good. Um, but we arrived there and the weather forecast looked absolutely biblical. And by biblical, I'm, I'm talking like thunder, hail, very, very heavy rain. Um, on a climb that's actually quite technical on the top part of it, it's got some quite tight sort of switchbacks as well. Um, the lower part is straight and is absolutely fantastic for descending, but the top part is quite... Um, technical and has just also been resurfaced so when it's dry it's incredible you can absolutely hone it around the the hairpins and the turns on it but when it's wet as i found out it becomes like an ice rink and um on the first day we had several thunderstorms um and then hail but i was adamant that i was going to start this challenge and ride it outside and give it my best shot because you know everything i'd paid for the accommodation for me and the support crew i didn't really have the ability to reschedule it i couldn't financially afford to reschedule it um and the the stance was kind of like well let's just make the best of the situation we've got we're, we're do ultimately the achievement of the seven wasn't the thing that was going to be the success it was the achievement of opening up about that discussion about mental health and really showing vulnerability and sort of showcasing the fact that I was incredibly vulnerable. I was incredibly emotional and incredibly, I was exhausted, absolutely exhausted through, you know, through this challenge, like after the first day and there was six more days to go. And, you know, my body was just getting battered and battered every day. And what we really wanted to showcase was how me as a, you know, 30 odd, I'll be honest, day two, 32 year old male covered in tattoos like maybe there's a perception that I'm a tough guy but I was in tears every single day and we filmed it and we documented it and showed it and because I really wanted to make the point that yeah, there's no weakness in sharing that vulnerability is actually a strength in showing how you're coping with those situations and leaning and relying on your support crew to look after you and to ultimately make the right decisions and the right calls and after the first day where i completed a successful everest um the call was very quickly made um because i was not doing very well with the weather conditions um to change stance with the challenge where it was about trying to complete as much elevation as possible over the course of the week and whether that was outside on the climb or whether that was resorting to swift because to be honest, as my support crew made the call that it was dangerous at points to be out descending the, the climb itself um, when it was very wet and slippy. And that's where having that support crew is so important because they make those calls for you for your own health and your own safety. And with this challenge, the you know, success, as I say, was 
showing the vulnerability and the the honesty of what was happening and how it was really doing damage to me um and getting through each day and having the support to get me through each day was what we wanted to showcase to try, to try and hopefully bring down some of those barriers especially in men because we are the worst at being honest about how our emotions are and how we're feeling and sort of talking and talking and opening up and throughout this challenge it became this opportunity where people came along and wrote bits of it who were genuinely struggling um and you know that it became a real weight on my shoulders i guess um having some very hard conversations with people who were you know in the military or former military who'd lost uh, some of their peers or uh, what the one that always sticks in my mind was one guy who ended up coming and riding or hanging out every single day who lost his son um and it wasn't just the fact that he had lost josh his son it was the fact that he was still here and having to cope with that and deal with that and he was you know struggling quite severely with depression because of it and he set up a charity in aid of his son uh, called josh's lighthouse josh's lighthouse project you get the words right and you know he became part of the support crew because he was around and he's helping and he got us like the the roads are closed road and there's a gate that goes across it and he got us the key to the gate so we could get a car up there and stuff like that like he was incredibly useful and it became much more than trying to complete seven it became about as i say ticking off the elevations as much as i could and then whatever that end number was at the end of it that was it and it, it sort of was like the first day was an Everest. The second day I was way, way down. I think I was on like 7,000, 7,500. And then the third day was down again. Um, and then I think it was the fourth day that I then started to pick up again. And then really? the fifth day, yeah. And then I think it was the, the fifth day was 9,500 meters. And then the sixth day was an Everest. And the seventh day was an Everest. But, you know, we... We had to mix it between riding indoors on Zwift to riding on the climb. And it was this real juggle between what's ultimately the goal was to get to the end with as much elevation as possible. And if that meant doing some of it indoors, so be it. Like you'd, we'd rather that I did it indoors and I crashed and had to stop. That was really the goal. Um, I realize I've gone on a complete tangent there, but yeah, it was. Oh, no. I, look. <laughs> such a fine line between perseverance and stupid right exactly they're, right it, it's like it's their their neighbors <laughs> it's very <laughs> so i can only imagine what your crew is going through between like wanting you to be able to stay committed to your goal because they know how obviously you have the type of personality that's very focused on that but also keeping you well and safe so mm. how many meters did you climb in the week oh man that's such a good question I uh, it was I can find it I can find it bear with me yeah that's it's gonna be a big number that is crazy it was uh, a very large and very stupid number um, and and the thing is as well is the hours ridden that I think you know I was doing between I think I was doing like 16 to 18 hours every day on the bike whoa and that just comes down to fatigue more than anything. You know, your body is exhausted. So there's only so there's only, you know, a certain speed you can get to at one point where it's 
it's not fast. Um, and also trying to, you know, not go too hard as well, which is one of those issues that I think a lot of people don't, maybe don't, maybe in this kind of situation, like if you're just doing one, you can maybe go a bit harder. But when you know you've got to go the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day, you have to sort of calm it down a little bit. You have so, to cover your efforts for sure. Yeah, so stay there, phone. So the um, the total meters was fifty six thousand four hundred ninety eight elevation. Um, so it's, Whoa! So it's Whoa. ninety. It was ninety one percent of the target elevation. So that's close. That's a gigantic total. What's your total kilometers there? Uh, one thousand two hundred eighty nine kilometers. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And how many, and this is the funny thing about Everesting is you can put things into kilometers for non-cyclists and that always sounds like more than the meters. They have no like relative because a thousand how many hours did you ride? You probably rode uh 16 uh, to 18 every single day. It was yeah, it was big like hours. I mean, if you if you're riding on just rolling terrain for whatever, 120 hours in a week or 115, you would have covered 2000 kilometers, right? Like people yeah. don't understand what that elevation means. It's so punishing, whether yeah. it's, or, but it's really like, we're amazing machines. You got stronger on day four, five, six. Yeah. Right? Which made, it was, it was like, I think what it was is like, um, the first day hit me hard. And the first, I, I, I my stubbornness meant that probably didn't help because I was, I was adamant that I wasn't resorting to going on a turbo trainer straight away. Like I was, I was like, that's not how this challenge is done. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and so maybe my stubbornness didn't help that situation because I was so adamant. Oh, it was about a hundred hours riding for reference. Yeah. Um, a hundred hour week and I probably never will. That is gigantic. <laughs> effort. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, I think my, as I said, my stubbornness probably didn't help the situation where I was adamant that I was going to start outside because it, that's what I wanted to do. The, the idea was to try and do it on this one climb. Um, and, you know, I think the after effect of that definitely hit me the second and third day. It really did. And then, and then suddenly it was very weird because like the, the support crew was built up of um, my mate, Jimmy and, Anyone who knows me knows how important Jimmy is to me. Jimmy is like my hype man, my dad, my mum, my best mate, my brother, all rolled into the same person. And Jimmy's been there through all these challenges I've done over years. So he knows me so, so well. And why Jimmy is so good is because he'll say it as it is and he'll be rude and he'll be blunt and he will be like, uh, he's a short Welsh man. And he just will, he'll swear at you and he'll tell you off and make you do things. And I explicitly trust him because he's got a heart of gold at the same time. And then, and then we had a guy called Jack who was photographing it. And he really sort of became the person that made sure I had water and food the whole time. And, you know, was just a very positive energy around. And then lastly was another friend, Andy, who's been on quite a few of these challenges with me and filmed them. And Andy um, has like the most infectious laugh in the world. So having these these three people as the primary crew were 
was it was a like it was perfect because they're all very positive people but all equally know how to to talk with me and to deal with me at points when I'm really not great and know how to sort of balance that and you know Jimmy made those calls for example being like you're not going outside when it's like this again because the weather is biblical it's dangerous you're going to get cold you need to let's just crack on indoors for a bit and then the other advantage of being on the turbo trainer meant that they could watch me like hawks to make sure I was drinking make sure I was eating because when you're so tired you just forget to do that you literally forget to do it um and then the other thing which we brought in as the challenge went on I remember I was descending Stulandan and I could feel myself falling asleep like really just get like starting to like nod and nod and nod and like everything just slows down and your vision slows down and your body just feels like it's just done and I and they we had the key to the gate at that point so the guys were going up in in one of the cars um to check basically how it was because it's so much quicker going up in the car than it was to ride they had a cargo bike an electric cargo bike which they were using as well which was became the party wagon speakers flags all that kind of stuff um box with food and water in it on the front it was great but um they happened to be in the car at this point and i'm coming down and the car's pulled over at the side of the road and i remember shouting to jimmy i was like oh can i have i need a caffeine gel or something because i'm because i'm not feeling good and he and he was like why do you need a caffeine gel and i was like because i think i'm gonna fall asleep and he was like okay well then that means you need sleep you don't need caffeine this is like four days into the challenge and then from that point, we, the bit that we, so I went back and had some food, sat down, I just, I was eating and I started falling asleep while I was eating. And I don't really remember a lot of what happened then, but I finished eating and then Jimmy gave me an espresso shot and told me to go to bed for 20 minutes. And I came back down and I was buzzing and like my, st- of that trick from, uh, there's a podcast called Freakonomics. And yeah. it's hosted by a guy named Stephen Dubner, who's super interesting. And he, that's his, his tr- hack is to highly caffeinated drink, short nap, and you wake up and you feel like, like you've had an eight hour sleep. So we, we then started to introduce that. And so the problem was, was when I was, we were trying to make sure I was eating real food as opposed to relying on a lot of energy stuff, like, because it's just, in that over a week i don't i don't think it's great to be continually filling yourself full of sugar um so what we did was we um made a real point of stopping like i had a very early morning breakfast and then i'd have a a um like mid morning breakfast second breakfast and then i'd have a lunch and then a mid afternoon like dinner and then a dinner like food afterwards i was eating a lot of calories but i was probably burning between eight and ten thousand every day so it was i needed it um and every time that i had like a substantial meal um we did that tactic because i was i'd be eating and all my energy would go then to digesting the food so i'd be literally eating and falling asleep and so it'd be like right get all the food in 20 minute nap espresso shot back out you go and it worked so well as we started to get further into the challenge as a way of like keeping me somewhat energized and fueled and like just being able to i guess keep going it worked as a weird survival tactic in the end yeah you just buy yourself a little bit of time right so there you go amazing okay now 
I presume that this that this passion for mental health awareness and men's charities in November is mm. continuing strong. So what are what's what's next and where can people kind of follow along in this or and support your cause? I I guess say, maybe, I'm something's tied into that um that aspect is yeah. uh, huge. It's for me like I I started doing stuff for November because um I you know I unfortunately I don't talk about it a lot, but I lost a very, very good friend. And actually, they've lost two very good friends. And they, as a charity, were so incredibly supportive in providing the research and the information on how to then have very tough conversations with the the rest of the friendship group who were equally struggling. And as a charity I, I i think the work they do is incredible and people just think it's people think about it like they might know it as in the sense from oh they do you know it's the guys that grow the mustaches in november but actually there's much more than that there's the mental health side of it and there's the testicular cancer side of it and they provide incredible resources and support for both of those um i'd actually tend to fundraise for three charities and it, it was kind of drilled into me as a kid because my grandparents used to run a charity when they were around and it was like my grandparents are always like, oh, you know, you if you get, I don't know, three pound pocket money, which is was actually quite a lot when I was a kid, as far as I was concerned, that was a lot of penny sweets. Um, you get three pound pocket money. My granddad was always like, you don't need three pounds. You're a kid. You need like two pounds of it. And he's like, we'll put a pound of it in the charity box. So it was just drilled into me from a very young age. And I was incredibly lucky to have that that background and that upbringing from my grandparents. Um and so the, the three charities are Movember for men's health, mental and physical health, um, Women's Aid, who support uh, women and children who have been in abusive relationships and, and supporting them to get out of those relationships and providing the care and support for that. And then the last one is the Pace Centre, which is a children's school which looks after kids with cerebral palsy. Specifically, they look after 107 kids um, based sort of in the southeast. So I try and do challenges related to fundraising for those charities um, and different ways and aspects. And I think the next one, the next thing that's actually directly on my radar is on Friday, I fly out to Spain to do Badlands, which is a 770 kilometer gravel race with like a lot of meters of elevation in the Sierra Nevada deserts. So it's going to be a bit mad. Um, but in terms of sort of charity projects, um, last year, uh, myself, um, a guy called Toby, who runs a a weird kind of collective thing called the Cold Dark North, which is all about riding in the north of England and actually showing how beautiful the north of England is. But it's all a bit slapstick and quite funny. Uh, and then uh, another collective called the Steezy Collective, which is a group for... Uh, Basically, everyone, LGB, I can't even remember how many the acronyms now, which sounds really bad, uh, LGBTQ+. Plus. Yeah. yeah. I got that right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, non-binary uh, riders, uh, they are a community that helps support anyone who wants to get into riding. I'm really sorry if I butchered that, so please accept my apologies. Um, but Steezy are like an incredible collective of riders who are there to support 
anyone and everyone who wants to get into cycling. So last year we we organised a ride which was called Chase the Last Long Days, uh, which was riding uh, the the Way of the Roses coast to coast, which is quite an iconic route that goes across the UK and the north of England. And so we it was such an incredible event. That what we did was we we charged people to join us, but that payment was a straight up donation to Women's Aid or Movember. So basically you make the donation, you come on the ride. That's kind of how we did it. And then uh, it progressed that we've got the, ne- the next one uh, in the middle of September and it's called Not A Thing because we made a real point of it not being a thing because Toby who runs Cold Dark North is a lawyer and if it was a thing, you have to have loads of red tape and stuff to make it legit. So we always, we joked that it was called Not A Thing. So we're not organising anything, we're not providing anything, there's just a route and we might all happen to be doing it at the same time. So the one we're doing this year is called the Lakes and Dales Loop, which is a, a loop around the Lake District in the UK. And same, we, we're fundraising for November uh, and Women's Aid, and we are doing it on the weekend of the 16th of September, I believe it is. So I basically have Badlands and then Not A Thing, which is our next like charity project. And then I always think in terms of these bigger projects like the Seven Everest, I, I don't think it's fair to ask people to donate to these kind of challenges um, more than once a year, in my opinion, because it's, you know, cost of living's going up. It's it's getting tough at the moment. Internationally, everyone's struggling a bit more than they were maybe two, three years ago. Um, so in terms of charity projects this year, that I, I, won't, I won't do another one this year, but I'm starting to plan something for next year, um, which has been on my radar for a while um i'm not gonna say much more yet but it involves a lot it involves a lot of riding still um and it is uk based um but i I, i'm also one of these people that doesn't like to commit to saying exactly what it is in case it changes because these projects they need to change it's not ready to come out of the oven yet exactly exactly it's still being cooked but um I I try and keep, you know, updated on what's going on with all these challenges and races on social media, um, which is Crystal Rides. Um, and generally, I, I'm funny with social media. It's such a, a fantastic tool for good. And at the same time, it's a tool for pure evil at the same time. And I really try and use it as a positive thing and space to talk openly about how I am and how I'm coping with stuff and how stuff's going in terms of prep for races and challenges. And, you know, we also, we filmed the seven Everests or seven Everests, so to speak, uh, and made this beautiful film of the challenge where you can progressively see me and getting more and more buggered um, and talking less and less, uh, which is over on, on YouTube. You, it will probably come up if you just search for uh, seven Everest crystal, I'd imagine it'll probably come up. It's pretty moving. I encourage everybody to check that out. And uh, you've quickly become one of my favorite followers on Instagram. <laughs> Thank you. Like, it's very kind of you to say. That's like you're using the power of the social media to people who think that it's um, only for uh, negativity are using it wrong. Right. And they're following the wrong people. So there's tons of inspiration all over the world that you can mm. find uh, from people. So. I hope that everybody can give you a follow and uh, you're, you've given me enough of a teaser that it sounds like I'll need to reconnect with you and hear more. 
at some point. Yeah, there's, I mean, uh, anyone that, like close friends that know me know that my most hated, this is, you didn't know this, of course, but the most hated question I've always had since I started doing these challenges is what's next? Because I personally feel it puts an unnecessary pressure that you have to perform in some way. And I went through this phase of just always joking about what the next thing would be by saying like, I'm just going to go play chess or eat pizza on the beach. There's no beach near me. So that's already interesting. Um, and I understand there's an interest because, and there's an expectation, but what I've learned as well over the years is like these challenges that I've done have been, you know, astronomically hard physically and mentally for me. But there's a certain point where it doesn't matter actually how much harder it is for me is if it, it just is, there's a base point of people's understanding of what hard is. And exactly. this, this last challenge, this seven Everest project, some people were like, Oh, how does that compare to like when I, you know, I rode uh, quite a few years ago, I rode 107 kilometers every day for 107 days for pace. And people are like, how does it compare to that challenge? And I'm like, they were both incredibly hard. No denying that at all. But this, escalated it by a country mile um in terms of how hard it was and how much it took from me physically and emotionally and then also how long this process of kind of accepting what happened and i guess feeling more normal and kind of actually like i can ride again how long that process has been like sometimes it, you, with these kind of things you think oh like it's a week off this has been like two months and then starting to build up again because not just because of physically how much it took out of me as we sort of alluded to with the the time the elevation the distance but actually the emotionally it really really rocked me quite badly i was some very hard conversations to have over the course of a week which make uh, i mean like it's one thing to protect your mental health space while you're doing that but you don't yeah. right like that's incredibly brave like i can't think of a better word to describe it than that so yeah it was it was a tough one kudos and uh and thank you for doing this and explaining some of this to me i'm fascinated by it and um good luck in spain thank you very much it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you one last thank you to chris for spending some time with us and one last thank you to all of you for tuning in. Uh, it's it greatly appreciated. I, I feel very honored to have the opportunity to be hosting the podcast. It's really, really cool to be able to connect with people this way um, and people all over the world. So this Everson community is uh, absolutely amazing. Appreciate everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, the best way for us to grow the podcast is simply by word of mouth. So if there's somebody who is an Everester or an aspiring Everester or an endurance athlete that you feel would gain something from the podcast, please let them know about it. And then of course, on social media, if you're able to share episodes as they come out and uh, of course, subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you're finding this show. Thanks a lot. We'll be back next week.